when every single team in the tournament gives you trouble, except the defending champions. It's that so MLS. You only need to win the important ones, man. <laughs> or, in this case, that's how NWSL. Uh, but either way, a North American soccer podcast starring myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Reporting from inside Nick. our re- respective bubbles. Yes, that's right. We are we are bubble to bubble in uh, in in observing the two rude. bubbles in <laughs> in in MLS and on WSL. Yeah, and a big result last night that shook up everything in the Challenge Cup. Uh, as you were saying, um, Portland struggling throughout this whole tournament and all of a sudden just finding a win against the defending champs, just for good measure. I didn't watch every Courage game in this tournament, but um, I saw the their first one against the Thorns. And it seemed that Portland actually gave them like Portland gave them trouble in that first game uh, that opened up the tournament. But then if you, then when I was watching them later against like the game against the rain, I thought they looked quite flat. Um, so I went into this. I literally have uh, here written in my notes. Yikes. Thorns were the only team to get a goal in the courage this tournament, but they've seen flat during their other three games. Courage running hot. And this is a nightmare scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's not, which is what I love about soccer, right? Is that like, and we'll get to uh, some things that play out exactly the way you think they will later, but sometimes it's it's written completely against you and yet they they find a way to do it and from a rookie goal, no less. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, the uh, We will talk a little bit more about the Challenge Cup and how it has evolved through the prelims to the knockouts. Um after much discussion, and I had to admit it looked pretty bad there for a couple of days, the uh, MLS's back tournament has finally uh, lurched its way to starting. Well, and I've always said don't let record numbers of a global pandemic in your local area stop you from having soccer games. So against all that we said might happen, um, and against all odds, that's so MLS... Or that's who MLS is back, but also MLS just regular is back as well. Yeah, you had um, a couple of situations in, in in addition to to um, to Dallas having to drop out. You had the issue with positive, uh, unconfirmed positive, and then confirmed positive tests in Nashville, and Nashville having to drop out, and them having to realign teams. Um, while the tournament was in 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 uh, progress, from a group that was in progress, yeah, yeah, um, which really I think kind of underscores the like, what do you really take away from this whole tournament when it's all said and done? Point because Chicago had to prepare for three new opponents because they were the ones trading groups. Um, and we'll certainly get to them and, and how they've been faring, but it, it's just kind of like that's insane. Right before a tournament starts, you've been doing all this preparation for three teams, and all of a sudden you're throwing out that playbook uh, to be facing San Jose, Seattle, and Vancouver, um, and all Western opponents as well. Since discussing it here, I've really been trying to live by the tenets of chill soccer. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> but I'm into which it. we will also discuss a little bit later. Um, but the um, but it, yeah, it's just tough to. It, it, this is one of the reasons why that is the case because you there are so many um, extenuating circumstances to why a, a particular team or player might be doing poorly in a situation. Um, the tournament is occurring, but you know there you see. A couple of these things pop up. Um, DC and Toronto had positive tests that were then turned into negative tests. But I guess Toronto didn't, um, because of the situation, they they didn't report to the training ground or to the field because they were concerned. Mm. And I think that was the right move. You had this, you know, at the end of their game, there was this weird, you know, uh, beacon off. Um, shouting match between the two teams about whether or not it was Toronto's fault that a game got got postponed three minutes before it was supposed to take place on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely not if there are positive tests the team should go, should be going in. Did, uh, I We haven't seen as many of those uh, kind of issues crop up over the last couple of days, but I just think that what has inspired... Um, puts paid to this notion mm. um, that this it, that the protocols have worked. You know what I mean? Like, despite everything, yeah. it's like Garber says this shows that, that what we've been trying to do has been working. Um, I don't think it has worked particularly well. The tournament is happening. Um, but I don't think that, that starting yeah. with two teams fewer than you intended to start with, that you intend to begin with, is a success of your planning. You're, you're, you are continuing despite the fact that those protocols didn't work. Yeah, it's a little bit of uh, some Trumpian logic there. Of well, we tested and we found the people were positive, so we had two teams drop out of the tournament. Success. Like, I mean, as you said, define define success, which I think in Garber's terms was have the tournament happen. Um, come hell or high water. So that's what happened. I'm curious to know um, what team or teams have stood out to you so far from what you've seen of this tournament. And, you know, of course, we're putting a master, a massive, a massive asterisk above this tournament in terms of we know teams aren't at their optimal strength. We know teams are missing players. We're missing two teams from the league. But based purely on the performances that you've seen, who's been the, the standout team? I scroll through my notes here and, and, and think of, of what I've seen um, both in games and highlights and, and, and score lines. And I think that the three, not necessarily in all cases, eyebrow raising uh, teams, but the, the, the teams that are, are, are the most pleasant surprises um, are Orlando, um, Columbus and Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's pretty unanimous that people are just happy to see Orlando <laughs> winning anything. But coming into the, coming into this tournament, people had very low expectations except perhaps Orlando. Um, and they sealed this 2-1 win over Miami in their first sort of showdown yes. against each other. I, I mean, certainly they left it a bit late, but the overwhelming thing I thought when I was watching this game is that overall, you know, Miami looked like 
they had moments of threat, which will continue to be a theme for them. But Orlando, I, I still felt like just played better. They they looked crisper in their passing. They looked like a team on a mission to win a game, whereas Miami looked like they were taking the entire game to, to sort of try to hit their stride. It doesn't help, I think, that that for expansion team like Miami, I was going to say expansion teams, but there's only one in the tournament. Um, the... Uh, they're still kind of new, and I think that it it's hard both for players, to, both you know, in terms of a team trying to um, impose its identity, and also you know, in terms of observers and, and fans trying to get a sense of who this team is in the the um, the grander scheme. That there we we still definitely feel like we're being introduced to Inter Miami. Um, some familiar faces, you know, Juan Aguadello scoring the goal is very is is a is a is a familiar sight. Um, but certainly, the and you mentioned how nice it is to see Orlando scoring. It's like there is sort of this I feel emotional investment almost in seeing even if you're not an Orlando fan in seeing players like Chris Mueller do well and even Nani who has been you know great in terms of um. A teammate, but hasn't necessarily been like mm-hmm. producing, you know, a headline or hasn't hasn't been at the level to to get recognition of of you know the velas of this league. Um, but it has been like mm-hmm. you know has been a, a turning in good performances. It's interesting to see, um, you know, him bury that that goal uh, to get the winner in stoppage time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I feel like overall, um, Orlando looks like a very, very threatening team in the tournament. Although you could say the same of Miami. Miami just hasn't uh-huh. won any games. Um, so it, it's it's interesting to watch the two teams face each other right off the bat. Um, I, I think overall, going forward, Miami has a, a great system and certainly looks like you know, a team that could cause a lot of problems in the league. But as we've seen, you know, it's so hard to get the formula right for an expansion side. Um, You know, they've got some big names. They've got tons of MLS experience throughout their ranks, young and old. Um, And it's just not kind of firing on all cylinders yet. And I I think we're still forgetting that, you know, the... um, the Seattle's and the Atlanta's of MLS are more the exception than the rule in terms of expansion That's success. True. And, and I think that maybe uh, something that has had as much um, hype because of the money and the names involved um, as Miami, it, it's easy to just sort of assume that they're going to be in that sort of Atlanta or LAFC mold. Um this was the first, you know, sort of the debut, uh, all all eyes on the tournament. Uh, how, what have you thought about the presentation of the tournament? Um, and, uh, and I guess some of the incidental, you know, um, what have you been noticing about sort of the on-field realities of, of um, the world of sports facility, etc.? I mean, it's clear the facilities are great. Um, I don't think there's been any issues there. Um, I mean, 
when you and a few commentators have mentioned this but when you really stop and think about the conditions that the players are playing under where they're going from hotel room to pitch and then back to hotel room um it it really highlights just what an enormous strain this is on teams and so i think you've seen that at points where there's just you know especially through the first i would say four or five games just a complete lack of anything in the final third um that just the final pass isn't there the the shooting isn't crisp the decision making is is just a little bit off which to me it, it highlights all the more teams like Philadelphia and Orlando that have come into this tournament sort of flying and and adjusted relatively quickly to being able to function in this tournament um obviously depth was always going to be a big thing as well and it's been interesting to see how different managers have managed that throughout the tournament so far. Yeah, and I, I also think that, like, in terms of, like, almost quality of play, it felt like that first three days of the tur- like, the first three match days, I guess, of the tournament had a lot of zero zeros and zero ones and stuff like that. And, and, and we've now gotten to the point where everybody is just as sweaty. Um, but, uh, but I feel like maybe to a certain degree, um, people might be a little bit more acclimatized. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I mean, it's, it's hard to figure acclimatizing to like that real swampy weather down there. But I, I, I do think it, once teams adjust to that, um, then everybody fares a little bit better. It's certainly, it's not, I mean, they're playing at odd times of the day. They're playing in still really warm weather, so um, it's a lot. I have been, it, I have been at war with myself over the um, the the CGI graphics. There's more CGI oh, graphics so. in this tournament. It's like a Star Wars prequel. Uh, than, than any other sports game I've ever and seen. A, and Adidas is Jar Jar Binks? Is that the oh analogy? Oh my god. Here? They have this huge logo at center field, and then uh, I guess they've shrank it, but it's still there. Now, call me a naysayer, but I don't think it was big enough. I think <laughs> if you're paying for prime sponsorship and there's no, sport, there's no sports on, the Adidas logo should have just been like CGI'd into the eyeballs of every player. On well, all they the close-up sh- shots, they should have the same three stripes over the shoulder as the as the dumb jersey design. Like yeah. it should be, but it should be like it should start in one of the corners and go like forty yards diagonally onto the pitch. Wait, so is Adidas a sponsor of this tournament? I, I <laughs> couldn't tell. There's also been much hype made of the five G flying camera, which by all appearances seems to be. Uh, a camera like similarly used in the NFL that's just on a a wire moving around on the top of the pitch and I mean that seems neat I guess benefits of taping in a um uh you know I guess the benefits of taping in a TV studio um I uh I quite liked I'm just looking I'm just taking a look through here at, at some of the the interesting results um on one of those early days of the tournament. Philadelphia did get the one nothing win over New York City. Um, Columbus, of course, had its uh, four nothing blowout of Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati went on to beat Atlanta somehow. <laughs> I think that might have been my favorite game of the tournament so far. <laughs> Cincinnati Atlanta. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, they just... Cincinnati just looked like they had not missed any time at all and picked up exactly where they left off and just, like, got into bed and pooped against Columbus. And and, and take nothing away from Columbus, because I, I thought that they played extremely well and looked very clinical, and it served them well in this tournament to start so strong. But Cincinnati just, you know, at least three of those four goals, it it's just everybody out of position, people ball-watching, just no defensive ability whatsoever in a way that's like I would say shocking except that we're talking about Cincinnati the thing that makes it shocking is that they then turn around and steal three points from Atlanta um, you know it's maybe in, uh, encouraging or <laughs> discouraging depending on how you're looking at it that the young kid Amaya is the one to, to get the goal for Cincinnati finally um, but it's such a, a massive win for them. Unfortunately, I thought maybe spoke to just Atlanta looking quite flat um, and really not playing their... Well, under Frank DeBoer, I think they're playing their typical Atlanta style, but I still thought... I just expected more a- attacking prowess from them. Um, and for as much of a nuisance as Pitty's been making of himself in and around the box, the, just, the finishing's just not there. Um, and, you know, of course, we talk about pressure on big name and, and big money signings. And it, it, it seems like it it really is kind of getting the best of him a little bit where he's he wants to be the hero and he's making the first play. But it's the second and third play where, um, you know, he, he lets himself down. But overall, I, I think Atlanta's just been a kind of big disappointment so far in this tournament. I guess then if you're if you're seeing a scoreline like. Because of Cincinnati's history, if you're seeing a scoreline of like four nothing, you're like, ah, yes, they're bad again this year. But maybe what we're looking at is a team that's sort of like medium bad, coming up against both, or or medium coming up against a team that's both very hot in Columbus and very cold in Atlanta. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Atlanta's first game against New York Red Bulls. Again, they spent most of the game just trying to string together passes and just blasting shots wide. Um, you know, Velo picks up where he left off and gets a great goal relatively early on. Um, but really kind of nothing from Atlanta, except I think they hit the, the crossbar at some point, and that was about as much as you could say about their opening match. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed um, some of the details out of uh, Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, which included... Um, the, the great run from Kyrie Shelton. Um, it had a, a, a handball var goal and then Tim Melia getting sent off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And Minnesota, or, or sorry, the, the poor Richard Sanchez uh, giving up two goals in stoppage time. That's kind of a dream if you're Minnesota, though, it, it, or, or a fan to ever watch your team go into stoppage time down a goal and think, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and Minnesota's proven to be that team, at least last year, where they, you know, they just find ways to win games, um, which is a strange thing when we think about their first two years in MLS. Um, but uh, we talked about their strengths last year, and it seems to be paying off in the tournament so far. I think they've got four points, if I'm not... Yeah, four points. So they've got a win and a draw. Um 
and like they haven't looked dominating, but this tournament is all about grabbing points <laughs> at opportune moments. And you'd feel like by now most people in the league would know to not let Kevin Molino have anything in the 97th minute. <laughs> um, but he plays hero, and my note here is just like, just don't wait to get it done. Like, it, it, especially against a team like Minnesota, you know, take take commanding lead. I think we've seen since that game and a, a couple of the early ones that teams have really tried to get early goals and hang on for a lead. But we're still seeing plenty of um, late action in games. Um, I almost feel like if you if you look at the looking at the sort of the notes and some of the results, this is almost the start of when we enter the chaos zone. Because that was the same day as well that, that TSC Toronto or TSC DC was was found. And then the next day you have that match where uh TFC go up two nothing with Io Akinola scoring. Yeah. Um and then Junior Moreno got sent off for a second yellow. So you've got you've got TSC in a commanding position. And then all of a sudden, uh, Federico Higuain scores on 84 and, uh, and uh, Briant scores on 91 to make it uh, 2-2 uh, for the final draw. Um, DC holding on to the last minute. It really feels like those game states can change as players get tired uh, closer to the end. Yeah. And it's been interesting to me that it's kind of become a tournament of, like, old MLS vets with rookies. Like, those are the game winners right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Kevin Molinos. I mean, we'll call Nani an MLS vet just for fun. Um, Akinola you know, has five goals. Akinola's got five goals. And he, has, <laughs> has he turned 20 yet? <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's been playing like a house on fire. So... And, you know, Iguain now has had two game-winning goals. Um, I think that's right. He has 20. He turned 20 in January. Okay. Um, the, uh... That doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> good on him, but good for him. And then that same day, you've got uh, L.A. Houston, which was a 3-3 draw. Yeah, just uh, exchanging blows. I mean... I'm I'm usually not very good at calling score lines, but this is one that I, I expected would be in <laughs> four goals or more. Um, I just didn't know which way it was going to tip. I actually thought Houston might have uh, had a chance to win this one, um, but it turned out to be more of a, a back and forth match. Manuel Rodriguez looked great. Bradley Wright Phillips scored, um, which everybody was happy well, to yeah, see. That's right. Gets his LAF, LAFC account open. Proving he's got a lot left in the tank. Uh, you had in uh, in LA Galaxy, uh, Portland Timbers, um, a saved penalty on the 11th minute. Yeah, which was saved the... by Clark and somebody tried to slam it in. Stop around, allowing rebound pens. It's, yeah, it's silly. But still didn't matter Clark came up um you know the monkey on Chicharito's back got a little bit heavier um however he did get a late goal so he's finally off the mark very expensive goal but overall um Portland looked pretty commanding in this match despite um, scuttling a number of chances I thought that they looked much better maybe not saying a lot but I will say overall I thought LA Galaxy looked better um 
from where they were last year and the types of commentary we were giving about them, I felt at times we were being maybe a little bit harsh. Um, and I, from what I've seen so far, they, they certainly look to be playing a little better, but Portland always kind of looked like the team to win this one. Um, um, Sebastian Blanco earning his paycheck in this one with a, an assist and a save and a Bobasi getting his goal as well. Oh yeah. Blanco was everywhere. You saw from Giovanni Savarese, uh, the, is the, was, I think, the second consecutive manager that, that it's, for some reason, this is becoming a thing in this tournament. I think uh, Colorado's was the first um, to have the manager be interviewed um, right. during the course of the game and ha- be scored as his teams be scored against. Just the look on both of their faces when the goal goes in and they just have to take their headset off. It's not even in anger towards the interview. It's not, it, it's not, like awkward it's not like an awkward interview walk off but it's just the look of Christ well and and also like why don't they do it during the hydration break that's the thing I don't get like why does it need to happen during the run of play well the hydration break you've got to have like the coaches use as a as a timeout sure but I mean or like wait to the half then like I just I don't, I don't gain anything because they've basically got time for two quick questions. So I'm not getting getting anything as a viewer to hear a coach just say the same two coach lines that every coach is going to say at um, a midway point and a half. Um, and it, you know, it's obviously like the goals haven't been caused by the fact that the coach is on the headset, but um, it, it's certainly hard to to multitask in that moment. I agree with that, and and I much prefer. I think in the NWSL tournament they have been doing some some um, coach and assistant coaches on mic, if I recall. Um, but the the mo- the broadest amount has been Marissa Pilla, the sideline reporter, um, just coming to bring back tidbits. That's fine for me. Is is yeah. you know to to send somebody to to chat with the assistant coach and then come back on commentary to 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 share with us what they've learned. And have that be actual information rather than having somebody come on that isn't particularly interested in giving the game away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I suppose that, you know, it's part of their, like, having people mic'd up thing. And, you know, I imagine they don't want a ton of reporters down by the bench and mixing and mingling of people. But it certainly, yeah, as a viewer, I'm not like, oh, Savarese said that? Like, that really adds to my thoughts about the game. Um and I think it happened in the Chicago-Seattle game as well, didn't it? Or was that a different game? I'm not sure. Um, what do you think? I. What do you think about how broadcasts are treating the hydration break? Um, because I think it's an interesting new uh, addition. The I keep I always forget that it's not halftime because announcers throw to it like it's halftime. But then nothing happens. Like you're watching a web stream of, um, <laughs> like a lower league web stream yeah. uh, at halftime. One of my, I mean, I'll be honest. I feel like the tournament overall has felt like that. Like I, I feel like I'm watching USL or uh, um, preseason games. Largely, I think that's just due to the lack of a, an audience. So that's fine. Um, but th- there's still sort of like a, even at this point, a bit of an ironing out of the, you know, some of the commentary um, and just 
the the way the games are being presented just feels a little bit amateurish. I don't know why the hydration break needs to be made such a big deal. I mean, it's barely 90 seconds of people swigging water and coaches shouting at their players for a bit, but I think it's MLS has a track record of talking to audiences like they've never watched a soccer game before or won't understand that there's like a new rule change or something new happening. Um, It's the same as talking about the five substitutes. I mean, it just came up so much, especially in the first week where you're like, all right, guys, give it a rest. We know it's different. It's happening. Uh, (laughs) lots, Lots is different right now. Let it go. Like what, what they're choosing to fixate on has bothered me a little bit, but I mean, it's it's fine. It it does feel a bit weird because I feel like, in some respects, as a viewer, it really is like watching quarters now, rather than two halves. Um. Does that? Uh. Does that? Like I, I I actually think that the idea of doing high ratio breaks, you know, it's for the players, and I think that you know we we want to make sure that the players are 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 healthy and hydrated. I think that that it is kind of like a you know when they awarded the 2022 World Cup, it's like people were kind of talking about, um, you know, how are they going to play the games there without you know in stadium uh, condition air conditioning or whatever, but but like from the time that that's happened, uh, global warming has occurred, <laughs> climate change climate change is marching on. That's what I think of when I see. That we are now, you know, trying to even even with the early morning, late night starts, we're having four hydration breaks in a game. It kind of makes me sad, um, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. But does it? Do you kind of do you yearn for that flow to have that flow back? I mean, a little bit, yeah. I, I do feel like it interrupts the game. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters all that much. Like it's still a soccer game and. Again, it's it's not a long enough break that it's not like players are going to go sit down or a coach is going to get out a whiteboard and go into some elaborate game planning session. So it it's relatively quick. We have seen a few times where results have seemed to have been impacted. Like there's been a really important play or a goal right after a hydration break. Um, but, uh, you know, there's so much that players are sacrificing that I'm like, look, if they need a ice cream break like do what you got to do to keep these players cool and hydrated and happy um it's it's not ideal but like it feels like a thing to like what's ideal right now (laughs) the now i i don't want to put this terrible idea out into the world but it's the first thing i think of somebody is going to want to sell ads against that eventually it's gonna it's gonna become a tv timeout eventually i feel yeah yeah, and and especially I think MLS feels a lot of pressure trying to expand the American market to be like NFL, um, and and to have a lot more replays and taking out of that live experience in the favor of adding color commentary, replays, ad breaks, all of that, um, and that's unfortunate. I mean. We know MLS is a different market than Premier League and a lot of the other European leagues, but uh, yeah, I think you're you're right in that. That's probably not too, too far off in the future, and especially if the league is trying to bring in more money, um, money that it's losing because they can't have live crowds. 
That's true. Um, Chicago, uh, Seattle was a, a, a big surprise. Um, really, uh, I loved this the the Barrick goal that that starts it off as he muscles over uh, muscles the ball through the area and scores. And two players, including the goalkeeper, just uh, get knocked over in the process. Yeah, uh, seemingly illegal. Like like not that there was a foul, but like you know they were they sort of had their ankles broken. I feel. Uh, in yeah. the in the metaphorical sense. Well, and, and Beric just stands his ground a bit, you know. And uh, if you're a defender, you just get muscled out of the way, then that's on you. <laughs> um, I love the an element here on commentary that John Champion on commentary tells Taylor Tolman <laughs> get, get needles Taylor Tolman that Brian Schmetzer says, "I believe he said he put you on mute." <laughs> <laughs> Tolman says, I took it as a team thing. I thought he put everyone on mute, not not just me. Uh, Yeah, old Taylor. Uh, Overall, he's annoyed me less this tournament than than others, but I I know he's gotten under a few people's skin already. Seattle Sandwala Buana scores, uh, but Mauricio Pineda um, drifts free at the far post to get the winner in that one. Yeah, and, and again, like, all of a sudden Chicago was a, a completely different team over last year and, and showing a bit of grit. Seattle wasn't great in this game, but good for she- for Chicago to steal this one. Um, New York City, Orlando, uh, you have uh, a beautiful chip of, of a volley from, uh, you have a beautiful volley from Chris Mueller um, to, uh, to open the scoring. Scores again four minutes later. Um... You have a ha- like this crazy half volley for Jesus Medina that does not uh, matter <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, uh, and a goal from Tesho Akindeli with uh, um, Valentin Castellanos hitting the crossbar in stoppage time. So a lot that could have happened in that one, but you have again um, Orlando prevailing against what would be considered to be a, a you know a ordinarily a, a, a contending side. Yeah. When, I mean, you and I have both spoken a lot about um, how much time we have for Chris Mueller because of the potential shown. So it's really great to see the consistency arriving now. I mean, he's he's creative. He's a goal scorer. He creates opportunities. Um, you know, he can play on the wing. He can play deeper in midfield. Uh, for such a young player, he really does seem to have a pretty deep bag of tricks. Uh, you know, and to have three goals in the tournament is just so great. A lot of people thought New York City FC was going to come in and really be the team to beat, and they're another team that's just kind of struggled to to get out of first gear and are sitting with two losses, and I believe are effectively out of that group. Um, Philadelphia, Miami. There was a a one one deadlock that was broken with a with a um, kind of a three on one break. Um, that was there was a great dummy as it was played across to Shabilko for the goal. Uh, Sylvia Petrescu got uh, a, a handball PK called off. I mean, I don't know why we're 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 taking the things they love for people, um, but uh, they've already given so much. <laughs> um, that brings us to what is all, what is what was uh, it, no the delirious no. game. Of nope. Vancouver versus San Jose, uh, <laughs> the Whitecaps making their their 
debut in the tournament halfway through because their initial game against Dallas was was postponed and then canceled. Um, this was a wild one. Um, I kind of didn't process before the tournament how depleted the Whitecaps would be without um, Freddie Montero, Lucas Cavallini, and to St. Ricketts. Um, Mm-hmm. Because the and Andy Cap- Rose, because the Whitecaps have been low on forward staff before, and because everybody was missing people, so it didn't really, you know, I didn't think, you know, this is going to be be a, a tough ask. Um, but it was a, a Whitecap side that really had to rely on its midfield in in for a, a attacking prowess and, and sort of its non strikers. Nothing against mm-hmm. Theo Bear, who is who's who's developing and doing his best in that role. Um, but you had the goal from Ali Adnan to open things off, um, which was great. I mean, I, I was, uh, I was pretty pleased with that as a concept. And then you had the second goal, which just was a lot. Uh, I let's to, to break it down. Um, a back pass from San Jose is intercepted by Christian Dahomes, who gets it out to Reyna, and Reyna has, like, the entire half to break out with this ball um, alone on a two-on-nobody with just the keeper. Um, but he holds it a bit too long. He tries to lay it off um, to the, the to his, his running mate there, uh, but Jutsen intercepts it. Uh, and, and interrupts the pass and kicks it very slowly into the goal. Slow enough that somebody could get in there. I burst out laughing like as hard as I could yeah. with my whole body. Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> it was just so much. I believe it got a lot of commentary, commentary on MLS Twitter because it's just like so much of MLS, so much of these two teams summed up in a single play. Um, you know, I I really regret tweeting that this game had 3-3 written all over it. Um, <laughs> and I swear I almost tweeted, now we just need a former white cap to finish off the, the winning goal. And of course, Shea Salinas scores the winning goal. For Shea Jose. now, Shea now, Shea oh, Salinas. Just, I mean, because as soon as he comes on, well, as soon as Wando and Shea came, came on, I'm like, well, Wando's going to score a goal and that didn't take long. And then I'm like, well, Shea Salinas probably has one in him because he also loves scoring goals against us. But the, I think I can probably like succinctly say my overall criticism of Vancouver is imagine having a goalkeeper like Max Crippo just be able to like consistently make huge saves. Imagine being able to score three goals and still losing the game. Like that's how bad Vancouver is and that's how deep their defensive problems go. And this is not just a shaking off the rust. This is a systemic issue at the Whitecaps where like who's their defensive coach right now and why does he still have a job? There, there's just it's completely unacceptable and there's been zero improvement and I know you know you've got a different center back pairing um, but it, it it's just not good enough um, and the the frustrating thing is just 
for me has been that Mark Dos Santos doesn't seem to have any answers. And when he's asked about this and elements of their game, it, it's, I feel like I'm listening to Robbo again, where it's, you know, it's about these little things and, you know, readjusting and, and doing the little things right. And it's like, no, mate, your defensive marking and uh, tactics on set plays is garbage. Like, it's just... not even college level bad. It's just horrendous. It's like, no, it's it's zonal marking on a set play against a team that does man to man. Like, just you, it's... you, you just your team just gave up an MLS record twenty two corners, MLS record seventeen shots in the first half. Um, like those aren't little things. No, other teams don't have a bad day in ship. MLS shipped 22 corners. It literally has never happened. Cincinnati doesn't do it. I Now, that being said, chill soccer. Chill soccer. Yeah, chill there soccer. are a lot of reasons. Times. There are a lot of reasons why... I mean, like, that's ultimately why, like... Like, if this was a regular season, to to think that the Whitecaps could go from, from 2-1 up, 3-1 up, 2-0 two, two nil up, 3-1 three up, would be really frustrating. And all I got to... To, to keep in mind um, from the perspective of chill soccer is that we were so outmatched like in terms of what was actually happening everywhere except the scoreline and two of those goals were so fluky that yeah. I couldn't I couldn't be mad that we gave it away because it's like it would have been just like a huge statistical outlier if we had won in the first place yeah, I, I agree. This one felt like as soon as San Jose started scoring goals, it was like, this just feels like it's it's going the distance here and San Jose will find a way back into it. But, you know, Vancouver, as always, has built themselves, dug themselves an enormous hole to try to dig themselves out of. Um, I thought a few players had good games, but, you know, this is a, they had a strong back line. Like that, that back line should have been, far more leak proof and you know Adnan who's a player I always like to criticize for being out of position I thought did a great job I thought defensively he had one of his best games as a white cap um it's unfortunate Kamiri a number of times just seemed to not know where to be not know the right times to to push the team up the pitch um and then on the set plays it was just a joke but uh, yeah I, I overall like walked away from the game laughing because I, it just <laughs> it felt like it could only end one way either as like this ultimate showdown of trading goals back and forth or San Jose would find a way to win it which they did then you have uh, you have Montreal Toronto which featured the uh, the goals on the 8th uh, 8th 14th 25th 37th 37th again minute Gotta love it. <laughs> Including a penalty kick from Saphir Tider. Uh and and you had asked me, you know, is this gonna be uh is this gonna be repeated in the second half? And I thought everybody's gonna get tireder and sweatier. Um so there would be more chaos. It almost until there was a, a, a another set of changes. And and not to as you mentioned, not to necessarily bang on the on the five subs thing. Um but I felt that the changes you, there were some key uh, once once fresher legs got on there. You got um, another pair of goals. 
including a penalty yeah. in, the, in stoppage time again. Um, but uh, that's one thing I wanted to say about Vancouver is that there was a huge change once they brought on Wondolowski and, and Salinas with a with a four person sub in the second half. Um, yeah. But uh, that was the the. The Toronto versus Impact game was was very interesting. I thought the Impact have looked okay. It's just they haven't got results, and I think that maybe that extended into how they started the season as well before the tournament. Um, yeah. Toronto, it kind of looks like maybe Pablo Piatia is still trying to find his um, his speed, but when you've got a player that scores five yeah. <laughs> in, in 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 two games in Akinola, you have the uh, you have the um, you have the luxury of doing that. Yeah, I, I feel like Montreal's been similar to Inter Miami, where it's there's individual elements that are there. Overall, a team product. You're like, okay, it's getting there. Um, and at times, look very, very dangerous and can score goals, but yet have still walked away with nothing. The uh, you also have um, the Columbus. Uh, Columbus New York game from yesterday was another one where it was like it was two nothing, but it almost could have been four nothing because you had uh, in addition to to another goal from Zardes I think that's three. You had uh, um, Zardes on this break lays it off to Etienne who side foots it right past an empty net, um, and then you you have uh, Eunice Mokhtar off the bar, so that could have been the. Uh, as, as good as Columbus were, they could have made uh, New York look like Cincinnati. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of pressure has been heaped on or a lot of criticism thrown at Chris Armas. I think, you know, I, I can see what he's trying to do with the Red Bulls, but I think this it's unfortunate that, you know, an, an opponent like Columbus that just came into this tournament so ready, um, and we knew from last year, had the defensive side of things down at times, but then struggled to score goals or then it would sort of flip. They just, for me, look like one, if not the most complete team in this tournament in terms of just they. everybody seems to understand what the game plan is, understand the tactics, and do their job, um, you know, more or less completely. They've looked very strong at most points. There's been very few times where Columbus has really, like, they, they might bend a bit, but um, they, they just seem, like, on a, a bit of a different level coming into this tournament. It's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out coming into the knockouts. Definitely. And a team I'm kind of watching is Sporting Kansas City, where they've been scoring goals, giving up goals. Um, and then yesterday had this big game against Colorado and really looked like they were going to lose hold of it relatively early on. Colorado goes up. Um, and, you know, despite their best efforts, um, there ends up being two players sent off. I just have in my notes, David Gantar sucks. <laughs> I think the, the, first, the first one's probably a red. I mean, you have, if you have two arms around a defender's waist and haul him to the ground before, while he's on a breakaway, you kind of only have one choice there. But, I mean, I, I just think overall David Gantar is not good at managing games, and this one felt like it needed a, a bit of game management. And and it was Zussi scores this really weird deflected goal where it just comes off the back of a defender's leg, in uh, I believe pretty late in the game, if not in stoppage time, to win it. So 
all three points go to SKC. Colorado is effectively out. Um, yeah, moments of brilliance. Um, Lewis has looked really good in this tournament, but otherwise, Colorado just, you know, I might be an outlier in this, but overall, I've been kind of disappointed by them. I thought coming into this tournament, they were an exciting team and an, un, an overlooked team, and so far they just seem to be proving everybody else right. I, I not to I I definitely can see where that co- where that comes from. I think that with the chill soccer it's like a, the the chill soccer perspective and coming from from a team like Colorado that is mid transformation. I sure. yeah. would say that it is un obviously a, a an unfortunate tournament way for their for their preliminary round to go. Um, but I don't necessarily think that you've got to um, blow th- not blow, not necessarily blow things up, but it's like it 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 may be just a preliminary step as opposed to a a uh, uh, like a like a big failure to me. For sure, I, and I think it depends too. I mean, I I think there are teams that have come into this tournament that. It, it's not to say they're not taking it seriously, but I think a number of coaches have even s- sort of admitted that, you know, they're going to do their best, but they're not really looking at this as like, you know, MLS Cup. This is a tournament, um, and everyone's going to try to get points, but some coaches are really looking at this as like the thing they want to win or go very deep into, and other teams are just kind of like, eh, we'll, we'll take what we can get. Um but so far, Colorado to me is, has just looked outside of the first fifteen minutes in this game, just kind of like they're they're not all there in this one. Which, as we've said, it would be very difficult to be. It's going to be interesting to look back at these tournaments and, and see what is you know recognized as as being um, to see whether or not it it is like a super memorable because you know there's probably only going to be one of these at least called yeah. MLS is back. You know, to 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 be the team that that triumphed here, or if it's going to be sort of forgotten in, or 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 degraded in terms of its competitiveness. Um, with NWSL, I really feel that league doesn't have a league cup, and I almost feel that their branding um, with Challenge Cup is interesting to me because I think that you can have more of those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One before we shift gears totally, and this might be a, a way to shift a little bit, is um, I'm curious to know. There's been a lot of the commentators and and sort of in between shows have been talking about what things will look like for MLS outside of this tournament, and and seem to just be referencing now a season after this. And I mean, of course, we didn't think this tournament was going to happen, but I'm just like, how on earth? do you make a season happen after this in any way, shape or form outside of just trying to do the same thing somewhere else, which seems like an enormous amount of effort for relatively few games per team. Um, Do you think that there's a season after this or do you kind of feel like this is it? Teams are going to try it. I mean, we we know the league is going to try to make it happen because they continue to say that we're going to try and, 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 It'd play a full schedule long after it was clear that that was not going to happen. Um, I do you see, you know, that the other leagues are going to try and make 
um, home uh, home market games happen. MLB is going to try and do it. Um, there's so much. Um, there's so much that could go wrong with that. And, and to the extent that all this, you know, uh, has gone badly, there have been a couple of days of stability as well, um, which doesn't negate the fact that things went wrong to start. But it's like, you know, uh, they, the, I don't think the bubble has been 100% effective, but I think the only way to do this is with a bubble. And to have players uh, potentially trying to travel over the international line, um, or worse, to have Canadian teams uh, have a home pick a U.S. home base so that they can play these these fixtures um, is bad to me. I feel like I feel like the biggest um, the biggest indicator of what could happen in a negative way is the Toronto D.C. game. And, and all of the Canadian teams really, um, really picking their spots to travel, uh, both on the bus and in the airplane to the games, completely warrantedly, in my opinion. Like it's not a it's not a, a a logistical thing. You're putting yourself at risk to yeah. travel into a situation where you're hearing so much negative news in terms of teams and players testing positive. And I think that. That the MLS teams were absolutely the MLS teams that delayed their flights into Florida were absolutely right to do so, and and Toronto was absolutely right to delay their their bus ride in, and if yeah. you tried to do a season, that's what you would get a lot more of that. That's my yeah. that's my thought. Yeah, I mean, and you basically, I feel like you end up needing like four or five days for one match because there's so many things that can happen and so many different calls that teams have to make so yeah that'd be interesting i i almost wonder like people complain about regular like like in the before times people would whine about regular seasons being boring right yeah. like like not that i want you know not that i want to not that i don't like sports or that i that i don't want to see games return in a regular fashion um, in their in their home markets when it's safe to do so. But it's like, if we are going to... Changing the way sports is conceived in this country to... In, in this continent to, to be... As I had the conversation um, last night on Twitter with, with Michael McCall of AFTN of two or three big tournaments... A year instead of a regular season, it's not the end of the world to me. In the with the idea that that, that this pandemic is going to continue in the long term. Yeah, I mean, and and that could very well be the reality. And right now, it feels like far more a reality um, and a possibility than not. Like to try to have a quote unquote regular season. Um, I, I mean. We've already talked about this. At what point you just say, like, look, it's not going to be normal. It's not going to happen. So we'll try to make something happen and try to make it as safe as possible. And, you know, I feel like the only real possibility is another tournament like this um, later, maybe in the fall, if the U.S. can get its numbers down, 
or there's a, a suitable city provided where you know they do another four or five weeks and and then just take the points tally from there or you know from their transition into mls cup i i don't know but it's, it's uh yeah it's it's strange sometimes to to think of how hard the push for for normalcy is given that the united states is just nowhere near and the whole world is not normal right now if the mls season if they try to continue the season uh it would be hard to peel the canadian teams off but the other reality that Canadian sports fans need to consider is a medium-term future without cross-border sports. Yeah. Um, and we're hearing that the, the Campiel tournament details could be out in, in the coming days um, with Dwayne Rollins suggesting you know a mid-August start time, uh, maybe in the, 90% of the Maritimes, he says. Uh, Oliver Platt of um, One Soccer saying... Um, pretty soon. What did, what did I have in the notes? He says I think that we're going to have some. Uh, where, where was it? Uh, I want to get the wording right. I really do believe we're down to the final details. He says uh, two right. days ago. So yeah. Um, it will be interesting to see um how that pen like how inter what the differences are going to be with an inter-Canadian bubble as opposed to an inter-US bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, it's important to note that, you know, there have been... you If you don't do it in Florida, you, you might have different outcomes because, you know, um, Utah has had much better case numbers for the NWSL. And it's probably... It's, if I just anecdotally check the weather, it's five degrees less warm there today. I would yeah. say, I would say 26 is colder, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, uh, 26 Celsius. Um, but you know, it's not as, um, well, I bet you humidity isn't also 90% either. So <laughs> there's that to think about. Um, let's talk about NWSL here. Cause that, that's the other tournament that's been going on. I've been really heartened to see a lot of MLS players supporting, um, via Instagram and Twitter, their respective um, NWSL teams. that And that's been a, a nice thing to see throughout all of this, that a lot of MLS players have been correcting people and being like, like they were first to go back. They, they still have a tournament going on, um, you know, as well as uh, sort of shouting out support for their teams, which has been a nice kind of like collective thing. It's been really great. I think the games have been really good. Um, yeah. The, uh, they have a. They've been a, a lot of interesting results, and we've set up these quarterfinals. And the first two quarterfinals have been uh, phenomenal. Uh, to go through some of the some of the remaining prelims that we didn't talk about last uh, last time, um, you had this. I loved this this July fourth uh, evening game between uh, Houston and the Rain. That was two uh, nothing for the Dash. Had you you're playing a night game on July fourth, and most municipalities have canceled their fireworks. So there are just from, from I was, I tuned in in the 60 minute, 60th minute on fireworks are being popped constantly in all directions. Yeah. And you, the Zions bank stadium is, is low, you know, especially at the ends is low stands and stuff, but it's like anytime the cameras are showing the area outside the stadium, there is fireworks in frame, basically. Yeah. 
which was, yeah, it was pretty inc- incredible. Some of those shots, incredibly pretty and beautiful, and I can only imagine infuriating for the players. Yeah. Um, great goals from Christy Mewis and Shea Groom, who have been some of the standouts uh, for the dash. Um, you had uh, you had some of the uh, essentially, I think some of the um, the standouts have been the Washington Spirit. Um, who had a good one-one uh, draw against Portland on the fifth? You had um, now. I was I had always been thinking that, like, especially because of the the Portland rain match that was a um, that was a zero-zero draw. That like that the rain were kind of flat in this, but they did get a good ninety-first minute goal on the eighth to beat Utah one nothing. Um, even a team like the Dash that his. Um, that has had some uh, momentum to it. Lost two nothing to Sky Blue, which shows that the Sky Blue project is um, is is coming along, um, headed in the right direction. You have this, and uh, in, in the courage after the after the two one win in the in the opener, um, really continued, uh, I guess, to cruise through the um, through the the opening stages with a one nothing win over Chicago. In a two nothing win over Sky Blue, um, you then you had that game. They they ran up against the Thorns, and um, they the Thorns I think have had issues. It's like when they try to put together a uh, a really strong defensive footing, they have had mm. issues also like trying to match that on 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 offense um, and. In, against a team that can create a lot of chances, they've looked. Um, they have, they have themselves had trouble coming up with stuff. Well, in this case, they just tried really hard to deny the North Carolina courage, uh, which is really hard. Like there were moments where it's just like, you know, um, the uh, you have Lynn Williams running around in the box with the ball at her feet, and I'm like, oh my god. Oh my god, this is terrifying! Uh, and you have the third string goalkeeper who made eight saves, including some really fantastic ones against Dabinia. Yeah, I mean, you just can't write this stuff. That's that's what I love about it is it's the unexpected and the sometimes the unknown players that rise to the occasion. You know, for a team where the stars are faltering a little bit and and things are just not going their way. And the momentum is in your opponent's favor, and you knock them out. Britt Eckerster was the was the goalkeeper there, and the goalkeeper hero in the evening uh, game between Utah and Houston um, was Jane Campbell, who uh, saved two penalties, and uh, I believe I saw on Twitter would have taken the fifth penalty if uh, if Houston had made it to uh, uh. Uh, to five. So the dash, uh, but the dash. Advance anyways past Utah, who I thought had a great tournament. Um, Utah yeah. is one of those teams that that um, they are obviously really focused on success, and um, especially in, in the tournament stages, have not always mm-hmm. had all the, the the success that you would want um, to have. But I think that they showed they you know playing at home here they uh, they showed themselves real well. Um, mm-hmm. Your games. We're uh, recording this on a Saturday. Uh, yeah. So uh, the other two quarterfinals 
<laughs> we we'll talk about how I feel about them, and then we'll see how that match matches. Obviously, the Portland one didn't match particularly well. Yeah. Um, I wrote that Washington have been one of the brightest teams in the tournament. They faced Sky Blue um, in the morning in the uh, in the afternoon game. Could be the rivals to North Carolina. Well, every other team in the tournament is is breathing a lot easier. I think you know it's 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 impossible to you know note how much of a Death Star this team was in terms of you know well, I think and, the fear from other teams and which kind of makes it exciting now because then it with them out I feel like as you say other teams breathe a bit of a sigh of relief but then also sort of perk up and go like okay well now anyone can win it so. Uh, I feel like there's going to be some goals. Let's <laughs> say that. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the um, the the focus is going to be on uh, trying to just bang some early goals in and, and get something out of these games as quickly as possible. Because um, you know, especially in in the Washington game, as you said, uh, Washington Sky Blue, like either team. The uh, uh, spirit spirit come in with um, Rose Lavelle and. Ashley Hatch, who looked great, got goals apiece. Um, Andy Sullivan is out with a knee injury, which is going to be a big issue for them. Um, the the uh, with Sky Blue, it's like I haven't necessarily caught on to them the most. With um, I I haven't caught on to them the most with ener- with in terms of like their energy and presence that I saw yeah. from Spirit, but they do have players that can score. Um, and the goals from Paige Monaghan and uh, Naoko Osumi were pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, from what I've seen of them, it, it definitely seems like a, a bit of a, a project still in the works, but a project that's maybe coming to fruition a little faster than even they expected. The uh, the other semi, the other quarterfinal is between um, O.L. Rain and Chicago Red Stars. Um, Rain coming to this is the top, is, is the higher seed. Um this is a little bit of a surprise to me because I kind of, like I said, I, I thought they were a little flat um, in some of these games. Um, it, and if you look at the games, they didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't have to play Washington, North Carolina, and the Red Stars did. So the Rain are the Rain are, are third seed and the Red Stars are sixth. But I've been excited by the Red Stars, and I think that they are... Uh, that could be a very interesting team to watch. They were in the final last year uh, with the courage out. They are definitely one of the teams that are thinking, this is my moment to grab something. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other NWSL news is that the uh, expansion team, the 10th team, uh, will be racing Louisville. Um, now, I'm not sure that we have a, a, a year date for that. As with everything in sports right now, it feels weird to say when things are going to happen. MLS teams, all the MLS expansion teams except Austin just got pushed back here. It's it's tough to it's tough to predict anything at this point. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in some ways, I kind of like that. It, it focuses it focuses focuses us. My goodness, on like actually paying attention to the things that matter, which are the games directly in front of us because I think it's really easy to to look ahead and want to make predictions but I mean as you and I both know the future will make a fool out of you um and especially right now it's it just feels so insane to be talking about what a year from now will be in terms of soccer 
Um, I see even with the World Cup schedule announced, it's just like, well, okay. That's very, very <laughs> true. In the in the meantime, we do have, uh, um, you know, the 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 games that have been announced and are being played as as, as long as that is <laughs> seems to be occurring. Um, I do want to say with the again the the games of the Challenge Cup have been so entertaining, and with the knockouts beginning and the the level of intensity just increasing again for the knockout rounds, um, CBS All Access is uh, free on a thirty day trial. There you go. Watch the Challenge Cup. Watch the Twilight Zone. Watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Those are the three. Those are the three <laughs> important shows on CBS All Access in Canada to me. Good. Good to know. <laughs> um, one one last thing that I wanted to to kind of squeeze in here, which I not squeeze in here, but just talk about is um, what the the presentation of MLS is back looked like at the, in the beginning, and and just how much time has been spent on um, Black Lives Matter, particularly yeah. in the opening match, but every subsequent match, I, I feel sort of like a little bit at a loss for to, to add any useful commentary to it because the the voice from the players has been so strong and clear um the messaging from the league has more or less just turned things over to um the i believe they've just changed their name or they did black it players for change i believe black players for change thank you um just handed it over to them, which I think is a, is a great move and has just been so clear and so united right from the get go. And to, to take the full, you know, nearly nine minutes at the beginning of the, the very first game with, you know, every black player in MLS standing around the field beside each other. was just, what a visual. Yeah. is is truly like, you know, um, I don't think there's anybody that was, was not like hit by that. Um, and I thought was something honestly kind of unexpe- unexpected, um, considering h- how the league has struggled in the past to take a stance on anything. It seems, um, and I, I credit the players for for bringing that forward. But um, I just thought it was such a good way to to start things off with an unequivocal and like really doing it justice moment that has then been able to like that message has been able to carry through. And I really do feel like um, that's kind of become more important than the tournament, which is great. I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, you see basically all the coaches are wearing the, the black lives matter shirts. Um, the, it, it, what makes it, what elevates it to me beyond, you know, any sort of, um, performative or marketing thing is how much they have let the players uh, take the lead. As you said, I think that, I think that these are, these are players who, you know, um, who have been very frank at talking about their experiences. They, and like, that's, that's what could have been so cringy about this is, is with some of the other um, diversity initiatives mm-hmm. that have been taking as, as, as public as, as you know as public campaigns by MLS is that if you did have somebody that was sort of scrutinizing every statement to decide you know is this the what are the optics of this you just have 
you really do feel like it's players speaking their mind and doing what they want to do and 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 in choosing what feels important to them. And I think that yeah. that's really valuable and it's exciting to see for me. Absolutely. And and I think that kind of thing ultimately uh, speaks to fans a lot more, especially those who maybe have not as much understanding of the events and, and what's going on. I think that it, it's a unique opportunity for people who might not otherwise be involved or even aware to have, you know, their favorite team their athletes it kind of explains something and and take a stand and in a way that's impossible to ignore and is made all the better by the fact that you know through every team you know the messaging is the same i know some commentators have struggled a little bit to unequivocally state what it's all for um where a few have just been like eh, to solidarity for against the hardships that people are facing i'm like okay um but from the league and from the players it's just been very clear very direct and i is a rare moment where i feel like it's actually sparked some helpful dialogue um and a rare moment where uh you see a movement of players come together and support each other in something that transcends the league and to me is the biggest success story of the tournament the lines that matter the most to me in in terms of what commentary are saying or what people are saying you know i feel like we are on the precipice of change i feel like we are going to see things happen i in the game last night it was uh or in the game um yesterday it was like you know uh or two nights ago i think it was like hopefully this is the this is we look back and this is the year that mm-hmm. important society-based change really started to happen. I think that that's imp- focusing on how important to for change to happen is what's yeah. important for two reasons. One, it recognizes that MLS is not the locus, is not where that change is happening. And like, but what we're just recognizing change and trying to support change everywhere else. And also to admit that the change has not occurred. Yet. Yeah, you know that yeah. we are that the 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 fight is happening now, and it is it, it certainly isn't a um, we flipped a switch and, and and now the change has occurred, which I think in other leagues and other organizations sometimes they can um, congratulate themselves a little bit too hard about that, and and I think that yeah. that 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 making it centering. The idea of change is a dynamic process that's ongoing um, is good to me and also adds kind of hope to the proceedings. Absolutely. Yeah. Well put. Until next week. And I I'm, don't have the, the dates uh, in my head as to when all of these, these playoff games There's are going to happen. Th- Let's just. There's soccer happening morning, noon, and night. Just you just got to flip on whatever streaming service you have and decide in the moment what's happening. Where can we find uh, you online? You can find me online making some slick predictions at That's So MLS on Twitter and Instagram. You can find this podcast at That's So MLS dot com and wherever fine podcasts are procured. Where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates www.team-bates.com. Beautiful. 
And until next time, don't go down to nine men. Ha <laughs> ha!